If you would, um, turn with me in your copy of God's Word uh, to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, if you don't have your own copy, there are Bibles uh, in the chairs in front of you. Uh, you can grab one of those. It's on page 1011 uh, in the Bibles underneath the chairs. James chapter 1, just three verses this morning, uh, verses 16 through 18. So hear God's Word. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Grass withers, the flower fades. God's word abides forever. Let's pray as we come before His holy and perfect word. Father, we do ask... As we come this morning, Lord, some of us have had rough weeks, maybe even a rough morning. Things have changed abruptly in our lives, and yet we come to you who does not change. And we ask that you would work in our lives, work in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits. Calm us now to hear your word to hear your truth, draw us to you for your glory and for our good and joy. Amen. Well, while running for an unprecedented third term um, as president in 1940, FDR gave this promise, your boys are not going to be sent to any foreign wars. We all know what happened not much later, December 7th, 1941. In 1988, George H.W. Bush uttered these very famous words, which most of you know, read my lips, no new taxes. Well, that didn't quite pan out. In 2008, Barack Obama promised to close the partisan divide in Washington, and that too rang a bit off key. In fact, one organization tracked 533 promises of that campaign and only 41% were kept fully. And the Washington Post actually tracked 60 campaign promises of, the, of Donald Trump, and only 21 were kept. Now, I don't have any statistics for our current president, but I'm positive there have been broken promises and directions changed. It's that way with every single politician. Actually, it's that way with every single one of us. We are not completely reliable. We change our positions, our minds. Things come up that that we couldn't have foreseen, and and we have to change what we thought or even promised, or we have a different taste, or just so many different things can change in our lives. But not so with God. So as we continue to work through our series, Knowing God, and this idea of growing in doctrine and devotion in both, in our understanding of who He is, but also even just as importantly in our love for Him and our dependence upon Him, we come to the next characteristic of God that is found in the Shorter Catechism, question four, what is God? God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, 
and truth. You guys aren't repeating that with me yet, so let's, we've got a couple more weeks. We can work on that. So God is unchangeable. That's the characteristic that we move to. Um, this morning, uh, another term I'll use interchangeably is immutability. He is immutable. This is a doctrine that I don't believe we consider all that much. It's not something that's talked about at parties. It's not, you know, a big conversation over coffee or anything like that. But I think it's one that as we begin to dig into it, you will start to see the vast importance of a truth like this. And we're going to look at three basic ideas this morning. The first one is just quite simply, what is immutability? What is immutability? Then after that is kind of this, what about... And it's the questions that come as we consider immutability, those whatabouts that you might even have as we go through the first point. And then the last point is why this is such good news for us. So my hope this morning is that you will will begin to see how this is actually good news, how this is, is refreshing for us that we have a God who is unchangeable, and that from that you will turn more and more to him. You will rest in Him and and who He is on a daily and moment-by-moment basis. So, if we look at James, the beginning of James is a section, and and James as a book as a whole is is considered kind of almost a wisdom book in the New Testament. There's a lot of wisdom throughout, and, and it starts dealing a lot with trials and maturing in our faith. And, and growing, and, and you see different things going through that. And by the time you get to, to, to chapter 1, verse 16, James has dealt with a great deal in relation to our trials, that we should count it all joy when we face trials, and that we um, are, are to grow in wisdom and humility and steadfastness. And immediately preceding the verses that I read this morning, you have James dealing with um, temptation and the fact that uh, it is not God who tempts us, but we're tempted when we're lured away by our lusts and our desires. And so then in 1.16, we read, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, this is always a good piece of advice. No matter where you read it, do not be deceived is a good idea, okay? Now, it's vastly important and essential when it comes to our understanding about who God is. If you are deceived about God and His nature and work, it's going to deeply affect your view of Him, how you relate to Him, and how you live your lives day to day. And then from there, we read in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so God here is is spoken of very much so as, as one who does not change. He does not change. And so, when taken in context, he isn't the one who's tempting to sin. In fact, he's actually our solution. James is kind of pointing to him as the solution, as he is the the, the good and perfect giver. He provides the gifts that we need. And so, if you look at the text as well, James is, is being a bit repetitive when he starts off, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And so he's, he's being repetitive, but that language, part of it is there to, to speak to the inexhaustible nature of God's giving and of God in and of himself. Everything that could possibly be needed, he gives. He gives what we need. He's supremely beneficent in giving. He does not hold back out of any kind of lack. There is no scarcity with God. James further describes him as the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. 
Now, this language, father of lights, why, why use that? He, he doesn't use it really anywhere else in the letter. Uh, and I think he does this to illustrate the unchangeable nature of God. If you look at the, at the heavens, uh, the, the lights we see, there's shadows, there's changes, there's movement, there's all this kind of stuff, the stars, the moon, we can see them in different ways, but not so with God. He is always light. One commentator said, the creator is in all this, unlike his creation. He never changes his position. He never alters either the fact or the intensity of his outshining goodness. I love that. Just, just consider that for a second. He never alters the intensity of his outshining goodness. How would you like to be around someone who never alters in outshining goodness? That would be delightful. Well, we are in our God. And so, this is a simple and profound point here, that God does not change. And when you move into verse 18, very quickly, you have one of His wonderful gifts spoken of here, the gift of life by the Word of truth. He gave those who know Him new birth. Through the hearing of the Word of God and the working of the Spirit, we are given life in Him. And that is the, the, really the, the, the most eternal good and perfect gift that we can get from Him the most pressing in our lives. Now, for our purpose this morning, though, where we want to focus is on this unchangeable nature of God. So I wanted us to see it from James 1 on His immutability, but I want us to also look at some other passages throughout Scripture that speak of His immutable nature. One is Exodus 3, 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you, or uh, yeah, has sent me to you. So you you might read this and wonder, how is this, this doesn't say anything about his unchanging. But he says, he's the I am. He doesn't say, tell him I was sent sent me to you. Or tell them I will be, I, I will be the, I'll be there kind of thing. He doesn't say any of that. He's actually, I am. He is always the same. He is consistent. Another text is Numbers 23, 19. God is not, a man, is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? For Samuel 15, 29. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Psalm 102, 26 and 27, we actually looked at it last week um, with eternal, um, and this is, this is a text that's quoted in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 in relation to Jesus, but it says this in Psalm 102, they will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. You are the same. Malachi 3.6, here's a very clear statement, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And I, I love this verse. Not, not only is it simple and straightforward, but that non-change is essential for us. This is a a reassurance. We are not consumed. The children of Jacob, those who know him, we are not consumed, even though we are sinners and rebels, because he is faithful to his word and to his covenant. 
God's people will not be consumed. One more text, Hebrews 6, 16, or Hebrews 6, 17 and 18. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, what are those two unchangeable things? You know, technically, they're, they're his promise and his oath, but they flow out of, they, they come because he is unchangeable, because his character, his being, his essence is unchangeable. And that gives great encouragement to us to have hope. It, you, you hear that, and we'll get to it a little bit more later, but we who have fled for refuge to him can have great hope. Why? Because he is unchanging. His promise is sure. Now, those are the texts that speak to God's immutable nature. Uh, not all the texts, but those are all texts that do that. But let's define real quick what immutability is. Okay, this is a quote from um, Louis Burkhoff, who's a great systematic theologian. He said, Immutability, it is the, that perfection of God by which he is devoid of all change, not only in his being, but also in his perfections and in his purposes and promises. Now, in virtue of this attribute, he is exalted above all becoming and is free from all accession or diminution and from all growth or decay in his being or perfections, which means he doesn't ascend, he doesn't descend, he, doesn't, he does not change. His knowledge and plans, his moral principles and volitions remain forever the same. Even reason teaches us that no change is possible in God, since a change is either for better or for worse. But in God, as the absolute perfection, improvement and deterioration are both equally impossible. He cannot change. He does not and cannot change. And Burkhoff wrote of a few distinct areas in which um, we kind of categorize God's immutability in his essence or his being, in his attributes, and in his promises or in his will and his counsel. So in regard to his being, his essence, God, we, we've looked at, he's infinite and eternal. And there is a ne there, there's never a time when he was not, nor will there ever be a time when he isn't. Okay, again, Malachi 3.6, for I, the Lord, do not change. This is what he says of himself. How could he change for the better when he's already perfect? Again, if he has any change, it, it, it means he was either, he's either moving to worse or to better. Okay, he is the great I am. Nothing in him fades. He does not grow tired or weary. He does not sleep or slumber. Now, let's consider that in his attributes. His attributes are the same as they were before he created, and they will always remain that way. They are always the same. A.W. Pink wrote this. He said, His power is unabated, his wisdom undiminished, his holiness unsullied. The attributes of God can no more change than deity can cease to be. His veracity is immutable, for his word is forever settled in the heavens. Psalm 119.89 his love is eternal. I have loved thee with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31.3. And having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end, John 13.1. And his mercy ceases not, for it is everlasting, Psalm 100, verse 5. And so even as you think about that, I mean, there's kind of a definition of it, but as he's talking about those things that don't change in his attributes, that, that's encouraging, 
that is helpful for us as we think about the fact that God does not change and that none of his attributes change. They don't grow, they don't diminish. Stephen Charnock, just listen, he said, how cloudy would his blessedness be if it were changeable? How cloudy would his blessedness be if it were changeable? How dim his wisdom if it might be obscured? How feeble his power if it were capable to be sickly and languish? How would mercy lose much of its luster if it could change into wrath, and justice much of its dread if it could be turned into mercy? He stays the same. He is consistent. And then third, we have His counsel or His will. This too cannot change. You're noticing a pattern here, I think, right? He doesn't change. (laughs) The things about Him do not change. To change one's counsel or will, if you do that, that's actually to determine that that now you should do something differently than you had done before, okay? That cannot happen with God. He does not get to the point where He says, oh, oops, (laughs) sorry, my bad. I shouldn't have done it like that. That's not how God operates. Uh, One commentator said, there can be no reason for any change in the will of God. When men change in their minds, it must be for want of foresight, because they could not foresee all the rubs and bars which might suddenly offer themselves, which if they had foreseen, they would not have taken such measures. But if God is infinite and eternal and unchangeable, He's outside of time, there's no time when He doesn't foresee anything that could happen. He knows all. Now, men and women, we often change our minds, okay? Um, you've got a, you know, if you ever had a little girl, you know how many times they could change their outfit in 30 minutes kind of thing. Or, you know, boys change what they want to do all the time. I mean, just constantly change. Or your taste, one day you loved this meal that mom cooked, the next day you can't stand it. I mean, we change our minds constantly. We will something different than we wish we, we hadn't previously because that we, we come to see it more clearly, or that, that, that it isn't actually beneficial, or we, we simply change our minds because we want power, or any number of reasons. But this is not so with God. He does not change. There is no lack of foresight with God. How can anything be lacking with one who is infinite in knowledge and understanding? And it certainly cannot be from an instability in God. Uh, he, he, there, there's no ability to, to draw God into something that's not good. And it also can't be from a lack of strength that He would change His mind, he, he, you know, where He would go something along the lines of, well, I actually can't accomplish that, so I'm going to have to do something different. That's not God. That's not how He operates. So since God lacked not wisdom to frame His decrees, nor holiness to regulate them, nor power to affect them, what should make Him change them? Since there can be no reason superior to His, no, no unseen, unforeseen event by Him, no holiness comparable to His, no, no unrighteousness found in Him, no power equal to go in His way. So, folks, God is immutable in His being, in His attributes, and in His counsel. But when we consider this, there are questions that come with it. Like I said, some of you might have had some, even as I read it, or even as I read some of those passages, you go, but what about what it says there? So when you think about God being immutable, one of the questions that you might have is, does that mean, if He's immutable, if He does not change, does that mean He's non-moving? Like He's an immobile God? Like if He can't change, He can't move. 
You know, when we think about something without change, at least in my mind, the closest I can come to is like a massive rock, like a huge boulder that does not move, that's always in the same place. But even something like that, uh, you know, it experiences erosion or lightning strikes or anything like that. Like, that's the closest thing I can think to unchanging, and it's unmoving. It does not go anywhere. But the immutability of God does not refer or infer immobility. It does not mean a status of, uh, of no movement in God. In fact, as one said, it's customary in theology to speak of God as actus purus, a God who is always in action. The Bible teaches that God enters into manifold relations with man and, as it were, lives their life with them. There's, there, there's change round about Him, change in the relations of men to Him, but there is no change in His being, His attributes, His purpose, His motives of action, or His promises. So we can change in how we relate to Him, and we will, but there's no change in who God is. And that, that actually enables us to relate to Him well, okay, and we'll, we'll hopefully get to that. Now, beyond that question of immobility, which maybe you were asking, maybe you weren't, I think a bigger question is the language in Scripture. What about language of God being grieved or repenting or God relenting? Doesn't, doesn't that sound like He changed? If God's grieved, did He not foresee something that would then grieve Him? How, how were He to deal with those? You know, if God is always acting in accord with His infinite knowledge and eternal decree, then how do we explain God having some sense, at least communicated in Scripture, of changing course? And let's take two texts, for example. I'll actually give you some texts to think about, okay? So Genesis 6, verses 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. And then there's Jonah 3, um, verses 3 to 5, and then verse 10. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then verse 10, When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them and he did not do it. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with God regretting and being grieved, uh, uh, with God regretting that he might made man, man in that way, or that he didn't wipe out Nineveh when he said he would? Are those not evidence of altering course? Well, as we get into answering that question, let's, let's not forget what we have just talked about and what Scripture has already taught okay, that God is infinite. He is perfect. He is immutable. Those are very clearly laid out. And so, principle of looking at Scripture is let Scripture interpret Scripture and understand context and understand grammar and, 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 and literary ideas and genre and things like that. But, 
by means of reason and what we've seen through Scripture, God must be those things. He is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. So then how do we understand this language in Scripture? How do we reconcile this? Well, when we think about repentance, naturally, when we think of repentance, repentance is to be sorry for a mistake. Okay, it's to be sorry for a mistake. God, God cannot make a mistake. So it, it can't be in that same way. He's, he's all wise uh, and cannot err. He's utterly holy as to do no evil. But God has, and, and we've seen this as we've looked throughout some of these other uh, characteristics, God does accommodate Himself in the language of Scripture. Accommodate Himself to us so that we know, to, to our weaknesses. Just as God is spoken of as having body parts, though He does not, He's spoken of as repenting or being grieved. So what, what we actually have here is, is a change in His outward conduct, but all of it is in accord with His infallible and perfect foresight and His immutable will. We, just, we have this, this picture of in the temporal, here and now, of we see this change in conduct, but it's, it's in accord with everything that He's known and who He is and His will. So when, when God said to regret that He made man, Stephen Charnock, who's, who's wonderful work on this, he said, it is only His changing His conduct from a way of kindness to a way of severity, and is a word suited to our capacities to signify His detestation of sin and His resolution to punish it, after man had made himself quite another thing than God had made him. It's a change of events, it's not a change of His will. It's not a change of His counsel. And, and maybe it'll help further to, to look now kind of at the Nineveh question. This is actually in complete accord with His will, what happened there? And, and you might say, well, well how, how is that the case? Well, the decree that Jonah gave, there, there is implied, and, and you see it throughout Scripture, if you give this call to repent, if people repent, if you give this call to repent and say, I'll destroy if you do not repent, there's, a, there's an implied, if you do not. But if you do... I'll relent. I'm not going to read it right now, but look at Jeremiah 18, verses 7 to 10, and you see this um, kind of general uh, way that God works in that. So, had God not relented when the people of Nineveh repented, He would have been changeable. He would not have gone according to His will and according to who He is because the people repented and turned to Him. And what God does when people repent and turn to Him is He forgives their sin. And so He had to do that. That's in accord with who He is. It's only a change in what we see, but it's fully in line with who God is. Uh, it's not a change in God in the least. Now, I think there's also another question and, and some of this, if, if you guys want to discuss this more, just remember tonight, uh, I believe it's tonight, is the sermon discussion time from 6 to 7, which the past couple weeks um, of going through this, it's, it's a time to come together, ask questions, us discuss a little bit more about the sermons. And so some of this stuff, you just can't cover it all in a, in a sermon. Uh, and so there, there may well be more questions, and that's okay. It's fine to do that. But I do think there's another question that, that many people will ask, is if God is under, uh, unchanging, why do we pray? Why do we pray? But you know what? As I thought about this, rather than that being a question, I actually think it's an encouragement. 
I think God's unchangingness is actually good news for our prayers. And I know some of you, your heads are spinning right now. That's okay. Um, But His unchanging nature is actually good news for our prayers. Think about this. And, And again, Stephen Charnock, wonderful on this, he says, again, what comfort could it be to pray to a God that like the chameleon changed colors every day, every moment? Were he of an unrighteous nature or changeable in his mind, this would be a bar to our seeking him and frustrate our hopes. But since it is otherwise, is not this excellency of his nature the highest encouragement to ask of him the blessings he has promised and a beam from heaven to fire our zeal in asking? So he's saying, God has promised to do certain things. If he's unchanging in those promises, that is actually encouragement to ask for those things. If he constantly changed and you you didn't know what he was going to do, then how do you know what to ask? It's kind of like, it's like playing whack-a-mole or something. You you don't know where he's going to come up. You don't know what he's going to do. And so there's no encouragement. You don't even want to, in a sense, you don't even want to play the game of prayer. Not that prayer is a game, but, you know, just follow the analogy here. So, but, but knowing that He's unchangeable and that He gives His promises, that He fulfills His promises, it's a wonderful encouragement to prayer because prayer in many ways is our act of acknowledging our dependence upon God, which if He were not firm and solid, if He were not a refuge, Resting in Him, being dependent upon Him, calling upon Him, praying to Him would be, let let me put it bluntly, stupid. It would be dumb of us to go to a God who's constantly changing and hope that He's our refuge. It, It would be as dumb as seeking refuge from a tornado on the top of a radio tower that's in the middle of the path of the tornado. Everyone who would climb the top of that tower, everyone else would look at him and go, you're nuts. So we pray and we seek God with confidence for the blessings He has promised. Our lack of experiencing blessing is not from God's inability, but could well be attributed to our lack of asking for that which He has promised and believing by faith that He will act in accord with the counsel of His will. Much of our lack of experiencing the promises of God is the fact that we don't actually go to Him for those promises. We turn to other things that are constantly changing. So further, I think this is good news. This this unchanging nature of God is good news for us, and it's great comfort. I think too often when we are burdened, when we are anxious, uh, when our hopes are being dashed, when we're afraid, we run to things here. We run to things in the here and now. Some of it could be you just binge on Netflix. Some of it could be you run to a refrigerator, you run to news, you run to uh, athletics, you run to all kinds of things, things we can see and touch, whether they be other people Uh, things to do, things to partake in, but those things are not reliable because they change. They even change with the use of them. There's no stability. 
no true refuge there. As Charnock stated, perishing things can be no support to the soul. If we would have rest, we must run to God and rest in God. Those things that perish, those things that change, they cannot bring you rest. They cannot bring you comfort. Not ultimate rest, not ultimate comfort. If things change, they are utterly unworthy to be the center of our souls, and too many of us make them the center of our souls. You may not think so, but you spend five hours a day on social media, and that might very well be the center of your soul. You wonder why you're stressed out, and you haven't spent a single minute in prayer. Again, things which change, even as we utilize them or change as we enjoy them, those are not reliable sources of refuge. Proverbs 18.10, looked at this last week or mentioned it, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, the righteous run into it and is safe. He's the place of refuge. This is, this is truth and secure truth. Again, you don't run into a tower for refuge that is unstable and unchanging. You all have probably seen that Geico commercial. I think it's a Geico commercial where, you know, it's, it'll start coming up again now because it's close to Halloween where there's people like crazy and they're, 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 their car died or there's a car that's running and they're like, no, let's run into the crazy barn where there's all these implements and that's where the like axe murderer is. And it's like, why? You're running to the wrong kind of refuge over and over again. We do that. We really are that foolish so often. Folks, what we want and what we need and what we need to want is something solid, something stable, something sure. Our friends may well be fickle, just like us, but God is not. They and we may want something one day and not the next, but God's purpose and promises are fixed. His will is utterly stable, and His word is absolutely sure. So when the world is going crazy, and you're flooded with the news of what's going on, and you see all the things going on around the world, you see protests here and there, and, and it's just, you're like, what is happening in this world? The unchangeable God is our rock to hold on to. That is our rock, because God is immutable. He is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. Here is such comfort. Here is our refuge. Hebrews 13.8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Folks, how many different things do we run to for our salvation? for dealing with our sin. How many of us have a tendency to think, well, I'm a good enough person. If if my good outweighs my bad, I'll, I'll be fine. That is, that is so changing so often. It is so unstable. 
It is only the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God who, who, the perfect and immutable God who took on flesh, remained fully God so that His counsel would be fulfilled that we could be saved. That all who look to Him, that all who put their trust in Him, that all who confess and repent and believe will be saved. Not might be. Not if you do enough of this or this or this or this. But if you believe, if you repent and believe, you will be saved because that's His unchanging promise. That is our hope. We have an unchanging God, a God we can trust and rely upon. And, and if, if you look in, in Hebrews, there is so much in it that is that encouragement to hope in Jesus, the one who is supreme and above, the, the greater and better, greater than Moses, greater than the old covenant, greater than all of it, because He is the unchanging God. He is our solid rock, the one on which we stand. The immutability of God, folks, is great news for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this word that tells us of who you are, that gives us an understanding of of you, and, and because of that, we can trust, we can rest, We can have confidence in our God. So, Lord, be at work in us. Help us to trust and rest in you, our unchanging, infinite, and eternal God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.